Hi, and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast. I'm Robin Birkin, and I am so grateful and honored that you're here today. From my own journey with infertility and loss to becoming a mind-body practitioner and holistic fertility coach, it is my sincere hope that I can help make your journey to conceive lighter, more supported, and easier by sharing deep emotional well-being guidance, doable conception tips, and real talk about what infertility and loss looks like. I'm here with you every step of the way. Now let's begin. Hi, and welcome back to the Fertility Warriors. I'm so grateful to you for being here. And it is my absolute pleasure today to welcome one of my beautiful friends, Kate Nagai from She Revival. And she's going to talk to us today all about her story. And honestly, when you listen to it, I don't even know what to say. It's probably going to be a mix of like, wow, that's a lot with, wow, that's a really powerful transformation. And Kate is one of these people who has a beautiful spiritual energy, but is also really down to earth and really practical. Um, So you're going to love hearing from her today. You're going to love listening to her wisdom and her story and all of the things that I'm sure that we can all relate to on our journey to conceive. So I'm not going to keep talking. I'm going to say hi, Kate, and welcome to the podcast. Oh my, I am so excited to be here. And I am so excited to share my, my story because I truly believe the more often we hear these stories of transformation and these success stories the more that we can start to create belief and hope in our own journey. So I'm ready to get into the depths of like my my darkness that I went through, I guess you could say. And what I love about you is that one of, I guess, the sort of pillars of what you talk about is how we can tune into our own wisdom of our bodies. Like there's so many messages and there's so much that we can learn when we get quiet. So I think Mm -hmm. probably the best place to start is at the beginning. Tell us about when you, I guess when you first started trying to conceive and when you first were like, this is shit and something is wrong. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. So I always like to share that like when you really, and maybe this is when you get to the other side that you can really start Mm -hmm. to like break it down. But when you really look at your journey, you see that it is not just like black and white or one road. It's like layer upon layer upon layer of what was being uncovered and discovered and transformed. And so like, I can start up my journey of like, when we started to try conceive, but realistically my journey started way back when I was in my mother's womb. So I am the byproduct of a teen pregnancy, which seems like, okay, that happened. Um, my mom and dad still together, amazing marriage, but I didn't realize how much that impacted me as I was trying to go into my journey. Mm. And so being the byproduct of a teen pregnancy is that I came out, I was over-responsible. <laughs> I took on a lot of responsibilities. I was a worrier. I was a control freak, a type personality through and through. And I think what I realized in my journey, which you'll learn about is that 
I didn't realize how much of an impact on like a psychological barrier I had around not being married and trying to conceive a baby and being fearful of that judgment, which Mm. was really like, this was like third ectopic pregnancy in that I discovered this aha. And I think when I realized that everything transformed for me. So when my husband and I um, started trying, we were in a really long committed relationship. We'd been together for two and a half, almost three years. And I really wanted a baby. I was in my thirties and my husband was like, he didn't feel the need to get married. And we had the discussion over and over again. His parents are common law because they were immigrants into Canada. And so their marriage certificate transfer over. So they always lived that way. So that's all he knew. And I came from the opposite end where my parents were not married when I was conceived, were shunned and (laughs) controlled by their community and then pressured into marriage. Um, And so I didn't realize how much that, like why it meant so much to me. I just, I was really like (laughs) teeth into the wood. I'm not budging. I need to get married, but yet I want a baby. So let's keep trying because I'm 32 and I don't have time to waste. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, no time to waste. We'll continue this argument as we go through the day. <laughs> I once remember sitting in bed and saying to Ross, oh, what did I say to him? Something along the lines of, can you just tell me, are we going to get engaged this year? Uh, and I said to him, oh, no, no, this is what I said to him. I said, Ross, I don't want to be, because there's something about this age 30. I'm so sure so many people can relate. You hit 30 and then all of a sudden you go, oh my God, the biological clock is ticking. I said to Ross, Ross, I just don't want to be 30 and not married. And he was like, don't worry, we'll get engaged by the time you're 30. And then I was like, Ross, I just don't want to be 26 and not married. And he was like, and that's enough. Now we were high school sweethearts. So we've been together. We were together a long time before we got married, but you like, I can totally understand those timelines. And I think it's really interesting that you say that, well, actually my journey started before that because you would be, well, no, you wouldn't be surprised because you talk to people every day like me, the number of people who, what happened with their parents and the way their parents conceived impacts them their whole lives like my parents had infertility so I always was worried like that I might have infertility like it it, it, it weighs on us what happens with our parents and their story that am I going to be exactly the same as my parents story and how is that going to impact me and do I want that or don't want that yeah and for me it was like I have to control every element so yeah. that people know that this child is brought into this marriage yeah. by choice and not by, by like rigidness or force or dictatorship from family members. <laughs> like it was like, it was a choice. And I didn't realize how much that really worried me. And then it mm. was, it was no surprise. It was after my second ectopic that it was between the second and third that I went to go see an energetic healer. And she was like, your tubes are blocked because you are rigid. Like you were born to children and you feel like you just need to force to survive. And at some point you need to relax. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> I need to relax. Uh-huh. Let's relax. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Cause also like, you would be the oldest child. And so I am super type a, like you, you, you grow up with that kind of vibe so often. So, okay. Between, so I want to circle back to for your first ectopic mm-hmm. pregnancy, but between the second and the third ectopic pregnancy, you go to see a healer. And I feel 
like so many people can relate that you there's a certain point where you're like you know what fuck it I'll try anything like what you know what I mean yes. like but we you know we see a, I, I was always very mainstream but open-minded so I went to see a naturopath before we even started trying to conceive I was like you know and then things like I have crystals but I and I always say to myself like you know what I don't have to believe in you know like magical woo-woo but it makes me feel good so you know I like I'm gonna put crystals in my bra but I feel like everyone gets to the point where they're like yeah you know what fuck it I'll try anything take me to a healer and then the healer says to you this is why your tubes are blocked were you like whoa aha moment or were you were like what is this woo-woo bullshit like you know for me it was an aha moment like it, it just the way that she put it and I think it was the compassion she held and I think yes. because like when you're on this journey and especially well I shouldn't say especially I think with all conditions when you get forced into the medical system and you're flowing through so much clinical data and everything's being thrown at you and you're, you're continually being told you're broken, you're broken, but not giving any tools or reasons, or how can I fix this? And then I went to someone who listened, who took my history, who sat with me for an hour, just listening to me spiel my history. Mm, yes. Yes. And then was like this compassion, like without touching me or even like embracing me, I felt like for the first time I was seen and I was heard. And then this wisdom palm came out of her mouth of like, have you ever considered that this might be some residual stuff from your mother's yes. pregnancy in the womb of her own fear and her own trauma? Mm. And then you coming out feeling like you had to survive and you've always been a fixer and you always want to like, you're just that person that takes care of everything. Yeah. At some point you have to slow down and go, I need to rest. Like I'm, I'm running on like, 100% adrenaline right now. And what, at what point do I come down and reconnect with me? And I think that was the moment that really spiraled me into mm. starting to investigate my body in a different way, rather than being told what my body was or how it was operating. I started to feel into what I knew, which yeah. was like, that was the medicine for me. And that was like the trajectory that changed everything in my life. <laughs> it's right. like, it, yeah, totally changed my life like puzzle, like a puzzle piece. Like you mm -hmm. found whatever it was, like the corner puzzle piece that you could say, now, right now I can start piecing together the puzzle yeah. of like what's going on here. And did you feel like that was the point when you had something that you could grasp onto? You know, like it, I, we feel so out of control when we're outsourcing everything and we're confused. We don't understand. And, you know, it's like medical jargon. And then was that the moment that you said, hang on, okay, thing like I, I, I see how I'm running my life and maybe this is not how I want to continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say up until that point, I was taking baby steps, mm -hmm. but I was still taking baby steps that were directed by someone. Like I still didn't trust my own inner authority. I didn't trust that I had the capacity to heal. I didn't trust that the outcome was going to be different. And it's really ironic because it was that moment of like, maybe it was the timing. Maybe it was just the softness that she provided in that experience for me. But when I had my third topic shortly after that, I didn't panic. I didn't go into this complete spiral of feeling like that's it 
throw in the towel, I'm done. It actually empowered me to feel like, okay, now it's time to make a plan for me mm. and not a plan that's directed by the outside world, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it, was love- at that, it was at that point after, like, it was right after our third topic that mm. my husband and I sat down and I was like, okay, like this is, I know that I'm doing all the right stuff. Like, even though we haven't got the outcome I want, I feel better. I feel better in my skin. I feel like I have tools. I, I feel hopeful. Like I, I don't feel like we're at the end of the road, but I also get that I'm getting burnt out. And I'm also tired of dealing with loss. Like at yeah. some point this loss has to stop. And, um, that was at that point where we're like, okay, let's try for six more months. And then we'll try one round of IVF. Cause I was ready at that point just to say, let's try for six months and go right to adoption. I'm like, I'm the money conscious. I'm the, the, the bank thinker. <laughs> My husband's not so much. And so I was like, no, like that's way too much money. Let's just, let's just go to adoption. Right. Let's just, we know we want to be parents. I don't care anymore. And he was like, no, I want to try at least one more time with medical intervention. And then we can go there. And so that was our plan. Like it was this meeting of us coming together, hearing each other out and then making a plan of like, okay, this is our plan. But at the end of the day, like we were at that point where we were like, at the end of the day, we just want to be parents. So if that's through adoption, we'll adopt and then we'll continue to heal. Like I didn't, I didn't lose hope that I couldn't heal my body. It was like, we'll have a child and then we will continue this healing journey and have child number two. Yeah. Um, And so there was something in that of just feeling that empowerment that I could sit down and make that plan and feel like I had authority in my life versus everything being out of my control, which is what it felt like for the first two ectopic pregnancies. Yeah. I can, so I can relate to so much of that. I had, you know, we all have this, like this breakdown moment or not all of us, but so many of us have this breakdown moment that then helps us reach that breakthrough moment and I Mm -hmm. had kind of similar similar but not similar I had another failed IVF cycle after I'd had that kind of breakthrough moment and I wasn't for the first time I wasn't derailed and I could make a plan I was like you know what we're in this for another two years I've got two more years in me and then I'm gonna reassess um and just being able to not hinge everything on every cycle I think made mm-hmm. such a difference. But mm-hmm. if we circle back a little bit mm-hmm. to your first and then your second ectopic pregnancy. Yeah. So my first ectopic pregnancy, um, my husband and I, we were talking about having children. We were dating at mm-hmm. the time, living together, talking about kids, obviously not being very safe because we weren't like we were wanting to have children but we hadn't really sat down and we weren't in that like fertility in the depths of it, of being like, okay, we've been trying for six months and this hasn't worked. We're like, let's play around with this idea. Like we want to have kids. Let's, we still haven't agreed on the marriage thing. And we got pregnant and we like, it was kind of like this moment of like, Oh my God, that happened. Like it was like, that happened quick. (laughs) Um, got a little off guard. We're great. Yeah. (laughs) Whoa. What, what just happened there? Um, so much so that I was further along than I expected. I think we discovered around six weeks that I was pregnant, which is pretty late for an ectopic pregnancy discovery. Um, and it was shortly after we discovered that I ended up in the eMERGE with intense pain and found out that I was closer to seven weeks and that I was about to rupture. And so they rushed me into emergency to remove that tube. And like at that point, like I was, I had no idea. I didn't know what an ectopic pregnancy was. Like 
I don't know about everyone else in the world, but Canada does not have the best sex education in schools. It's just like, they don't teach you these things. They don't teach you about what all these conditions could possibly be. I had no idea what an ectopic pregnancy was. I didn't even know that could happen. And now I've been told that it happened. And within the hour, we are removing it and terminating the pregnancy. Like I didn't have time to process, right? Like it just was like this fog. Mm, Yeah. And so we came out of that and I was like, okay, well, we're just going to try. And so we started trying again. And shortly it was within a few months, we got pregnant again and super excited. Cause when they went in for that first ectopic, they took out the tube that had the, the growth in it, the, the birth or the, the pregnancy in it. And they said the second tube looked perfectly fine. There was nothing wrong with it. No scar tissue, no swelling. Like they're like, no, you'll be fine. You have one really healthy tube. So it didn't you had no cause for alarm. No. So there was like so many people have one and they freak out like as you would, you know what I mean? Like it's scary to have an ectopic pregnancy. Yeah. And then to have that, like to have them reassure me like of this thing that I didn't even know could happen, happened, but don't worry. It won't happen again. Cause it's, well, they didn't say it won't happen, but they, they said the chances are slim because it's perfectly healthy. Like no reason to be concerned. We went home and thought this is easy peasy and we got pregnant right away. And so it was not even on my radar that it could be a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I booked a midwife right away and she's like, well, because you've had one, we have to get you into t- to check. And so we went in to check right away and it was, so we caught it like right away. Um, which means that they could put me on the, the medicine to terminate the pregnancy, uh, without having to remove the tube and hopefully keep the integrity of the tube. And so that's what we did. And I remember like, it was all just such a shock. Like I honestly, when we went into the hospital, I was like, no, it's gotta be appendicitis. Like just it's on the right side. It's gotta be appendicitis. Like You're crossing your fingers and your toes, just hoping yeah, it's another yeah. medical emergency. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I just remember getting the medicine and my husband, because it all happened so quickly and he had a meeting he had to get to. And so he's like, I'll be back in an hour. And I remember just getting that medicine from the nurse and then just bawling, like mm. this, like I just, you know, shout out to all the nurses out there. <laughs> my history with doctors hasn't been the most supportive, but my God, those nurses, they show up for you and they need you. And oh my gosh, like she doesn't know me. And she just held my hand and let me mourn that this happened because I didn't expect it could possibly happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it just wasn't expected. And so of course, like there was a little bit of a grieving time after that, that second pregnancy. And we had to go for follow-up information or appointments. And I remember just feeling like this can't be like this, this can't be. <laughs> um, and so we went to the fertility clinic and she was like, well, you know, you've had two now, one, one, two, one, and the other, it's probably best that we just remove both and we'll just go straight to IVF, right? Like there was no talk of like, let's do all this testing first. It was just yeah. let's the whole system because obviously this is an inconvenience. <laughs> and I remember walking out of there going, oh my God, this can't be like, this honestly cannot be like, that can't be my only option. And my husband, he's an engineer. So he really went right in of like, okay, like this is what science is saying. So we're going to do this. We're going to book it. And I was like, no, like I walked out of there feeling more broken than I've ever felt in my whole entire life with no answers. Right. Like 
you, you want to remove parts of my body without, without investigating a little bit more, like it just, it didn't feel right. So I went on Dr. Google and I just started searching and at the time, like this was 10 years ago. And so 10 years ago, a topic pregnancies wasn't something that you found anything positive on the internet. Like there was not one success story. My, when we started trying to, con- we, we, it's exactly 10 years when we started trying to conceive, there weren't Facebook groups. There wasn't really Instagram. There was like nothing, nothing. except these forums <laughs> and these random blogs um like that all like it was almost like this underground thing of all these blogs and I remember there was one website that the lady would just list all of the blogs and then you'd click on them and some of them were deactivated but that it was almost like this underground like lifeline of these people but that was about it there was no kind of community there was nothing like that other than these kind of what felt like underground little forums yeah Yeah. And at the time I was working for uh, a corporation. um, And so, and I was a yoga teacher, just like teaching one class a night or one class a week, um, just like a little side hustle thing of something that I just enjoyed. And I just remember at that moment going, there has to be an answer and I can't find it on here. So then I Googled acupuncture, right? I was like, and I don't even know why, like I grew up in a small town where there was no natural pass, no acupuncture. Like there was your doctor. <laughs> yeah. was it. Like, yeah. <laughs> you go see the doctor and you don't do anything else. And so like, I had never done any of these things. Like I yeah. had never done acupuncture before, or like I, the craziest I got was massage therapy. Like that to me was like, that was it. And so, and I know I read somewhere that acupuncture could help with fertility. And so I found a clinic at Edmonton and I called them up and I was like, okay, this is my history. Can you do anything for topics? <laughs> and he was like, yes, we definitely can come in. And so I went in for my first appointment and I share this because I think it's, I think so many people can relate to this. I went in and he was like, okay, so generally we like to like see you once a week for 12 weeks. And so that we can really optimize the body. And I was like, no, this has to happen next month. Like, what can we do to heal my body so I can get pregnant next month? <laughs> None of this 12 week stuff. I don't want to think long-term. I want, <laughs> I want the fix now. <laughs> Listen, don't you realize there's a biological clock? <laughs> I'm giving you four weeks, man. <laughs> and so, um, which is, yeah, it was really, it was an eye-opening experience, but I remember going for that first acupuncture appointment and I left. And I came back the next week for my second one. And he's like, so how are you feeling? And I was like, it's really weird. I'm like, I don't know what to expect, but all I can say is that when I left last week, this whole week, I could feel myself being in traffic and I should be, have, should be angry. I should have road rage, but yet I'm calm. Like, I, can't, I can't muster up the anger. And he was like, that's how we know it's working. And I was like, oh, that's what healing is? Like it, to me, it was like, I don't know what's going on, but I just yeah. can't get angry. <laughs> And so it was about, oh, it was probably nine months that I was doing acupuncture and just massage. It was the only two things I was kind of tinkering around with. Um, I started teaching yoga full time. I left my my career because I was like, you know what? I'm way too stressed here. This isn't yeah. filling my life's purpose. I don't feel like I love the people I work with, but I don't feel joy. Like I don't feel like I'm impacting the world. This isn't what I want to do. And I remember my husband going, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm quitting and I don't know what I'm going to do, but we'll figure it out. (laughs) But the clinic that I was getting my treatments at, 
the acupuncture treatments, they're like, we want a yoga teacher, come teach fertility yoga here. And I had no idea what fertility yoga would look like, but I knew what was going on in my body. And so I just started researching. I read any book that I possibly could. I picked their brains on the anatomy part and tried to figure out and piece things together. (laughs) And so I just kind of fell into this full-time teaching gig, which was fantastic. Jump sometimes and the bridge will build. (laughs) Uh, It's always my advice, especially if you don't feel like you're you're in the right place at the right moment. Um, and then, yeah. So in between like this, almost this year mark of us trying to get pregnant again after that second ectopic, which was really hard because it was so easy the first two times that it was like, well, why is this now 10 months that we ended up going back to the clinic. And so she was once again, like, we got to remove stuff. And I was like, I don't, I'm not there yet. Right. And I'm like, can we do any tests? And she was like, well, we can check your tube. We can put the dye in the tube and see what's happening Mm. in your uterus. So I was like, okay, let's do that. Um, So I left there. And the very next day I found out I was pregnant again. Mm. Okay. So did you feel like scared to get pregnant given that like you'd already had two ectopics or were you like surely not a third I was surely not a third. <laughs> right. So you were like, I was, I was so adamant that this yeah. was the one because I've been doing acupuncture. I was now like in a, a job that really fed my soul. I was getting massaged. Like I was taking care of myself. I was napping. Like I you felt like checking I was the boxes. Doing, yeah. I was okay. doing the, the ritual and I, this was it. And I, and it, the other element that felt like it was perfectly aligned is the third pregnancy we found out on Valentine's day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, I found out on Valentine's day, um, which a little funny side story, because this is really humorous and everyone will love it. And my husband's probably going to hate that I tell this story, but <laughs> so I found out, I went and put the little pregnancy test in a box with a little onesie. And I called him at work and was like, you have to come home. And he's like, I thought we were going to do supper later. I just want to go to the gym. I was like, no, no, you have to come home. And he came home and he opened it and he thought it was an ovulation test. Oh. And he's like, He's like, you got to be effing kidding me. You called me home to have sex. I just want to go to the gym. (laughs) (laughs) That ladies is when you know that you've had too much fertility sex. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. This is what this is. Yeah. And at that point you're like, no, no. So I thought it was like divinely aligned. Like I was doing all this work. I left my job, you know, it was all perfect. And we were to get married in one month. Our wedding was like a month away, not even a month. It was like three weeks. And I was like, this is all perfect. And the next week we found out that it was another topic. And I remember going in because I was so self-assured, right? Like I knew this was going to be a good one. So you weren't like, oh dear, no, I'm pregnant. You were like, this is all perfect. The universe is, you know, conspiring with me. This is, you know, okay. So you're you're pumped. You're like, no doubt. You're like, this is it. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. And so I went in for, cause once again, the midwife was like, you need to go for an ultrasound. So I went for the ultrasound and I felt in that moment laying on that table, getting that ultrasound done that the tech was just annoyed with me. Right. <laughs> cause they're like, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. It's another topic. And I was like, no, it's not like, I just felt like they didn't, they just looked at my history. They looked at my chart and they were like, history is ectopic, ectopic. This is going to be ectopic. So we're not going to really explore. And that's what I felt like. That's what it felt like in there. Mm. was just like, it just felt cold. And I remember walking out of there 
And in the change room, I called my acupuncturist and I was like, they're telling me it's another ectopic and I don't believe them. And he was like, well, we want to be conservative because we want to save that too, right? Like if we can save it, we want to be conservative, but this is what I would say, go home and go for a second opinion tomorrow. Like just sleep on it and go for a second opinion. So I went home. I said all my affirmations yeah. <laughs> called in my support team, which was very small because nobody knew my story. I didn't tell my family. Nobody knew what was going on and I didn't know our history. And the next day I got up, we went again and they were like, I remember being in the change room and that they had a nurse come in going, you just had an ultrasound yesterday. I was like, yeah, but I want a second opinion. You're asking me to terminate a pregnancy. I want a second opinion. So she left. She sent another technician in to come say, you know what? You really don't need this. It's it, we see it. And I was like, you are not listening to me. I want, they sent four people in to discourage me from doing this. And I was so mad. I was, so mad. So and I'm in yeah. I was like, you're asking me to terminate a pregnancy. Just let me have my goddamn ultrasound. I hope I can swear. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. I think I've already sworn 12 times. (laughs) Okay. And so, um, but they finally let me have it and they're like, no, it's a, it's an ectopic. And I still, I still don't believe it, but I called my acupuncturist again and he was like, let's just save that tube. Right. Like we can do this. We know we can get you pregnant. Let's, let's go and do some more and let's get that test done so we can see what's happening in those tubes. Right. So I was like, okay. So we ended up terminating the pregnancy we were driving to our wedding a week later and oh, we were getting married. Uh, yeah. We're getting married three, like three hours away from where we live. And halfway I went into intense pain and I went pale and I passed out. So my husband drove me to the, the nearest emergency uh, hospital, which was like literally 10 minutes away. Thank God we were on like in between cities. And it turned out that I had an ovarian cyst that ruptured and filled my whole belly full of fluid. And Um, but when I got there, they're like, she's, it didn't work. She ruptured. And so they, they were planning surgery and I was crying. So I'm like, I'm getting married in two days. You can't do this. (laughs) It was like, but to this day, I still have my doubts. I still have my doubts of like, was it an ovarian cyst? Was it an ectopic pregnancy? Like, yeah. But you know what? The thing that comforted me was a, that, that healer that I seen before I found out my, of that third topic. I was rooted. I was grounded. And then it just seemed like everything was layered. Like that happened. And we just had to power through and get to our wedding, which at that point, everybody now knows what's going on because we didn't show up at the hotel. (laughs) So then I had to tell like all of our family, what was going on. And I think those were all the turning points. The turning points were, you know, being able to explore a little bit of my history and how that was playing into my rigidness in my tubes, possibly. Mm coming together in marriage, this coming together of outing myself, like coming out of the fertility breadcrumbs. Yeah. And saying, this is what's happening. And then having so much family come and support me because they didn't start crying. They didn't know what was going on. Right. Like they didn't know the pain I was going through. And here I was like, just in so much emotional turmoil. Right. And so it was a really beautiful experience, really crappy timing, but really beautiful experience of just like having some acknowledgement of what might be happening energetically or emotionally in my body, having something that was a barrier, this marriage. I I really truly believe that a part of me was so afraid to get pregnant before we got married because of judgments. And so like that aligned nicely that having everyone know our, our story and then just be there to hold that space. We got pregnant three months later. 
So, and now I have three kids and it was shortly after our wedding that I went for, I went for that, for the test to see what's happening in my uterus and my tubes. And the doctor was like, you have no scar tissue. You have no swelling. Are you sure you've ever had an ectopic pregnancy? And I was like, well, they've told me I've had two in this one. And so like, it was, it was just reaffirming, like everything was moving as it needed to be. It was hard, sucked. And part of the, the, the history there too, before I went in to get the, the dye in the tubes was um, one thing that that energy healer told me was have a daily visualization practice, like something that you can really resonate with. And mine was literally, and it seems silly, but I literally would sit sometimes for 30 seconds. Visualization does not have to be 20 minutes. <laughs> sometimes it was 30 seconds. Sometimes it was 10 minutes. And I just visualized these little people in like hazmat suits going in there and chipping away at my tubes and cleaning oh, the wow. gunk. And like, on the day of the test, I just visualized them coming in with this like squeegee and like making it super slippery and shiny. Like it was like this chrome tube and yeah, I had nothing, no swelling, no scar tissue and was pregnant the very next month after that test. And I've gone on to having three children with no problems after that. Hi, and thank you so much for listening today. This is Robin, and today's episode is brought to you by a new masterclass that I have launched, and I feel like it's going to be a game changer for anyone who would like more tools to navigate infertility, loss, and trying to conceive emotionally. I feel like it's also a lot of stuff that nobody's really talking about. The masterclass is called Three TTC Myths That Are Keeping You Anxious and Stressed. We're going to talk all about how to cope emotionally through infertility and loss and what to do instead so that you can finally step out of that muddy fog of infertility, of endless cycles of hope and grief so that you can reclaim your journey and your life. You can rediscover yourself and feel like the old you again in an easier, quicker and make your life more awesomer way. So to join me on this masterclass, head to robinburkin.com slash masterclass. It's free to attend. It'll take you about an hour. And like I said, I feel like it's some strategies that are not only easier than what most people are telling you when they give you a flick of the wrist and say, try a guided meditation or when they give you things like just relax or just take a holiday. We're going to talk about the things that actually matter the myths that are keeping you stressed and anxious and the easier strategies that really do help people cope emotionally with trying to conceive loss and infertility. To learn more, go to robinburkin.com slash masterclass. Okay, let's get back into the episode. So your fourth pregnancy was Success. that a headbuck? <laughs> but like the early days was like, uh... oh. Well, here's the thing with the fourth pregnancy, because up until that point, every time I was told you need to go for an ultrasound right away to find out, we need to know right away. And with my daughter, my first daughter, the fourth pregnancy, I said, no, I said, if you make me go at four or five weeks, I'm going to be so full of fear that I'm going to manifest that into being another ectopic. I'm going to be so terrified. I'm like, if I lose it again, I lose again. I get that. I It is what it is. Like if I lose a tube, I still have IVF. Like not all my options are gone. And so I was like, I want to wait till nine weeks. I want to wait until nine weeks at nine weeks. I know you can hear a heartbeat. 
I know you can see, cause I still had all that doubt from that last ectopic pregnancy of them. Like we can't find a heartbeat. So it's gotta be an ectopic. And I was like, I need a definite that there is no heartbeat. And so I'm not willing to go before the nine weeks. And so I stuck my heels in and it felt right for me. Was it scary as hell until nine weeks? Yeah. <laughs> did my plan, my, my brain keep going into this like reel of like, you're, you're pregnant. You're not pregnant. You're pregnant. It's going to be an ectopic. Like it was always back and forth, but I knew in my essence that if I really wanted to be with this pregnancy and support my body, I needed time. I needed time to embrace it. And the other element to that too, that I really believe was successful. And I always tell women this, that I work with is that for three pregnancies, I kept it a secret for three pregnancies. I didn't share joy and I didn't share sadness. I sat in it with just my husband. And the fourth, I remember my husband, when we found out we were pregnant, he was like, okay, so we're not going to tell anyone until their ultrasound at nine weeks in. And I was like, no, I'm telling everyone tomorrow. And he was like, I don't feel comfortable with that. And I was like, well, uh, we got married later. Well, not later in life, 32. <laughs> it's not really late, but <laughs> we already had our own friends, right? Like he had his core group of friends. I had my core group of friends. They didn't know each other. And both of us just melded into the other person's friend group. Yeah. Right. And I was like, we don't have to tell your friends, but we have to tell my friends. And I want to tell my parents and I want to tell my brother, because I for once want someone to be excited for me. I want to feel the joy of someone being like, yes, you did it because I haven't felt that all I've seen is everyone else in my life, get pregnant and everyone celebrate that. And all I've had to do is sit there and worry. And I want to celebrate. If it's a loss, it's going to feel the exact same if I celebrated or didn't celebrate. Mm. And so we told my family, we told my friends, we didn't tell his family or his friends because that was his choice. Um, and I respected that. I understood that he had a different healing process than I did, but I needed to feel like people were like rooting for me and excited. And I also needed to know that if this ended another ectopic pregnancy, those people would be there to hold me because yeah. now they knew all my stuff. I came out of the closet. So now if this happened again, I really needed them. I really needed them to hold my hand through it. So. So interesting. I mean, so many things that you've said are so interesting, but I remember when I was pregnant with Olivia, so this was my third pregnancy. And I felt like if this doesn't happen for us, I will still tell people. So mm -hmm. I'm happy to just let people know because I felt like I wanted people to be able to have the ability to either hold me in my sadness or hold me in my joy. Um, mm -hmm. So I felt like I didn't want to wait for 12 weeks, but on the same token, um, with my first pregnancy, I announced publicly at about like to my blog and everything like that at about 14 weeks with my second one. I actually didn't feel the need to share like with my audience that I actually only ended up sharing at about 26 weeks when I felt like I couldn't really hide it uh, anymore. So it's really, it's interesting that you say, you know, that you like you wanted the ability for people to be able to share in the full spectrum of whatever emotions would come to light for that. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a true, for me, that was the true symbolism of breaking open. Yeah. Like, I think like that was like, you can see it all now and you're either going to be here to help put it all back together, or you're going to be here to see it break even more. Right. Like there yeah. was, there was no more darkness. Like, and I think 
that was empowering. Like that was such a key element. Like there were so many key elements of like understanding what my psychological block was and then understanding like how much I needed support and wasn't seeking it and how afraid I was of telling people. And, you know, that's the, that's the one thing, if I can make a wish for the world, it would be just like, can we stop the stigma around the first trimester loss? Can we just start talking about it? Like, why do we have to fear our jobs and everything else? Like there should be no holding back that we should be able to celebrate and then to grieve if we need to grieve, but we need to feel. And to allow the thing that I find with like pregnancy loss is that we are all so different. We all grieve and process miscarriage and loss in so many different ways, but some people just because of the way, you know, we almost have to power through at work and we have to, you know, if we're particularly if we're at fertility clinics, it's almost like we're, we have to get back on the wagon and it's, you know, let's go in and monitor your HCG levels. And as soon as it's back to zero, you're back on the wagon that we almost are, for some of us who are really dealing with heavy stuff that could be from like baggage from years ago and other stuff could be, this deep fear, you know, of all of these things, we don't almost don't get that opportunity when we need it to process and grieve um, for some of us when we really need that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I hear you. So you were already a yoga teacher. You went through this process of saying like, hang on, the way that I'm living my life is not a way that fulfills my purpose, brings me joy. Like I'm just, I'm living from burnout to burnout. Then you've gone through this kind of process of doing this. Yeah, baby number one, you know, baby number two, baby number three. And your life has broken open and changed in many more ways still since then. Can you talk to us about how you've changed yeah. in those following years as well? Yeah. So I healed my body when I was told that I couldn't, that I was told that I just needed to remove my tubes and, you know, just go an easy route. I think it was easy in their mind, or at least that's the message that I felt was like, let's just do this so that we can just take the damage out. Right. And I healed my body. I learned how to trust my body. I learned how to listen to my body, you know, and I took a big leap leaving my career and you know, I was a really green yoga teacher. I just started out and I had no idea. There was no like training programs at the time for, for fertility yoga. And so I was literally just reading books and trying to piece things together and trying to really understand the anatomy and Chinese medicine and looking at all these different angles. Um, and then I got pregnant with my daughter, which was fantastic. I was super excited. And of course she had to throw me a curveball. at 19 weeks. We found out that I had an incompetent cervix and that she was most likely going to come early, yeah. which when you've gone through this fertility journey, being told that you might lose your baby again at 19 weeks was like a train hit me and I, I quit everything again. I was like, that's it. Then I'm on, like, they told me I had to be on bed rest. So I was on bed rest. Uh, I left my teaching gigs. I had one beautiful studio that I was working at that uh, the woman who owned it was a doula as well. And she was like, listen, I still need someone to teach this class. Would you mind just coming to sit on the mat? Don't move. I don't want you to move. <laughs> I just want you to sit and teach from here, the class. <laughs> and then she was like, and if five minutes before the class you're on your way and you're like, I don't feel good. This doesn't feel right. You call me, 
and I'll either cancel the class or I'll go teach it myself. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So it was a way for me to bring in income still while being on bed rest. Cause I literally did not move. I did not adjust. I did not stand. I did not walk around the room. And it was such a beautiful experience to still, cause it was a prenatal class. It was a beautiful experience to still be in this environment with other women pregnant. And I did that for a few months. Um, and my cervix went from critical to being above borderline by, I think it was like 30. Yeah. It was like 28 weeks. They told me, okay, like somehow your cervix is thickened again and you're fine. You don't have to be on bed rest anymore. And I was like, (laughs) for someone who is like a type personality, when you tell me that I can go, I'm going to (laughs) go. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Cause now I've been on bed rest for like 10 weeks or close to it. So I was like, I'm starting to nest. I'm going to clean my house. I'm going to do this. We were renovating. So then I was moving stuff. I did made really poor choices, very poor choices. <laughs> and in two weeks, I went back for a follow-up because I had to go for ultrasounds every two weeks to check the cervix. And yeah. it had dropped back down even lower than what it was before. And so he's like, what did you do? And I was like, oh no. <laughs> like everything. So, <laughs> So in that moment, they're like, okay, you're at 30 weeks. It's time for a steroid shot then because this baby's coming before 32. Like we just have to prepare for a preterm baby. I knew my body. I knew that I healed it for fertility. I healed and like strengthened that cervix once before I could do this again. And so I went back on my bed rest regime. I had three yoga practices that I practice every day. I found a hypnosis for baby stay in. I listened to that twice a day and I just believed, right? Like I did anything that would help anchor me in believing that this is possible. And she didn't come till 38 weeks for a baby that was supposed to come at 20 weeks. She didn't come until 38 weeks. Yeah. And so like, this is, this is the beauty. This is like, this was like the layering of lessons for me of that. If I just keep trusting, if I keep showing up in hope, if I keep listening to the language of my body I will get through anything and everything like I will heal. And so, yeah, she came at 38 weeks. My second daughter, we got pregnant with her really quickly. I was only 10 months postpartum when she came, which we were very shocked because we thought that it would take a lot longer because it took so long to get our first, Um, but she came quite quickly. And so once again, in my mentality, I was like, I got this. It's fine. And she was borderline. My service was borderline throughout the pregnancy with her. So I was on moderate bed rest, but I could do a little bit of movement. I took it seriously somewhat, but I also pushed limits. Like I, like I hadn't learned yet. (laughs) Um, And she ended up coming at 31 weeks. Uh, So she came super early, my water ruptured and she was born right away. Um, And I remember my husband, because I had an acupuncturist at the time who told me to write little affirmations and just put them around my bathroom. So that way when I was washing my hands or brushing my teeth, I would just recite them. Like it was somewhere visible that I would go often. And so I remember when my daughter came at 31 weeks, my husband's like, see, I told you those affirmations didn't work. And I was like, how do you know? She could have come at 20 weeks. Like we have no idea if those worked or not. To me, they worked because they got us here. They got us to 31 weeks, right? With another incompetent cervix, which I did not put a cerclage in. I wanted to trust, see if I could trust my body and see what it could do. And she came early, but I just believed. And I listened to that same instinct in the NICU. My daughter was born three pounds, tiny, 31 weeks. She was breathing on her own when she came out, which they were completely shocked by. Yeah, she was breathing on her own. And within... 
about four days, she was breastfeeding on her own, that which they said is, was but that's yeah. impossible. They said that this, the breathing, sucking and swallowing coordination doesn't come till 34 weeks. And she was doing it just before 32. And they didn't believe me at first. And I'm like, no, I can, because every time I went, if she was getting fed through the feeding tube, I'd put her near my breast. Cause I was like, she needs to smell and sense her belly getting full by being in this position. And the one day I was like, no, I feel, I feel something being drawn out. (laughs) And so they weighed her before and after feeds and she was taking in just little bits, but she was taking in her feeds and she was released from the hospital in two weeks. We were out of the hospital before 34 weeks. Wow. Thing is, is that there was babies that were born at the same time as her at 31 weeks and were there till 42 weeks. But I listened once again to my instincts. Yeah. I knew that I wanted her on my body. I, we did skin to skin 24 seven. My midwife came to do skin to skin. If anyone wanted to come see us in the hospital, I was like, you can only come if you take your shirt off. I've got a blanket that can cover you, but you need to be shirtless and you need to be holding her then without a shirt. Like that's the only option. So we did round the clock kangaroo care with her. Um, there was things like if I did go down to eat or anything, I would place a shirt that I was wearing over top of her so that she would have my smell. Like just these instinctual things that I was like, And everyone was like, this isn't going to work. And I was like, it doesn't matter if you believe it. I want her to know that we're connected some way. And this little warrior made it out of the hospital in two weeks. So like, it just goes to show. Yeah. And then with my third, um, we knew we had two kids already (laughs) and we know my history of my cervix that I was like, you know what, let's just put a circlage in because I can't be a mommy to two and try to worry about this pregnancy. So we did. Um, and that little guy stayed until 40 weeks. He did not want to come out. Even when the cerclage was removed, like at 35 weeks, that little guy was like, no, (laughs) I'm warm. I'm staying. And once again, the power of the body, like, and this is like, this is my biggest message for women is that the body is can surprise you in ways that you never knew. And you're going to feel broken. You're going to be told a lot of information. That's going to feel heavy going to feel disappointing, discouraging, but you got to remember our body's always trying to find homeostasis. It's always wanting to get there. So we just, we have to find the tools that help us feel empowered to help us come into a place of hope and willingness to be curious, to explore options that may seem unconventional, weird, whatever, because our medicine's out there somewhere. And when we find that little token of medicine, we'll know it because we feel better. Like I knew acupuncture worked for me because I wasn't screaming at cars on the highway. Like you'll, you'll know what's working for you and the body will surprise you. It can, it can surprise you. It takes time. It takes work, but it's also like, I never discourage people from doing whatever choice they want, whether it be natural or IVF. I hate the word natural. It doesn't feel like that's a right word. Like, yeah. Both are natural. <laughs> Let's just say that both are natural, non-medical intervention versus medical intervention. Whatever is going to make you feel confident, whatever is like going to make you feel like you're in that driver's seat, then that's the right decision. And if you're doing IVF, just have the tools and the resources for you to stay hopeful, for you to stay empowered, even if it fails, that you can trust that if you try again, it's going to happen. Right. And so that's, it, to me, it doesn't matter what choice we make. It's whatever one feels best for us. That's not because we're told we have to, or because we're fearful. Like mm-hmm. I just really be curious, which is then led me to my career of like, 
really diving deep into becoming a yoga therapist and an energy healer now for someone who never knew what energy healing was until <laughs> this journey, an energy healer. And I just really, I've really dropped into a lot of training in understanding the womb from a sacred and like ancient wisdom of looking at it rather than clinical information and temperature and cervical mucus, which is all important, but rather starting to like get into the felt sense of like, can I get into my rhythm and notice my rhythm? And can I start to behave in ways that feel aligned, right? Like, am I, am I just racing through the cycle or can I be more aligned in understanding what's being communicated to me through my hormones? Cause our hormones are changing. And so how can we play with that in a way that makes life a little bit more inspiring and fun and joy filled and hopeful. So, mm. and this is the thing that I think as well, which is what I kind of mentioned at the beginning. We don't have to believe everything. We don't have like you can get six, 12 months down the track and that's fine if you want to believe, but sometimes things just feel good. Like life feels better when we do particular things. So sometimes that's where I always think, you know, we don't have to believe that. You know, so your husband says, you know, well, I don't know if the affirmations worked, but the, the point is that you felt really great doing them. And the point mm -hmm. is that you like, we will never know. We, we only know the path that we take. We don't know. We never know what another path might look like. And so I'm always like, well, exactly what you say. Like if it's helping you and it feels aligned and it feels good for you, do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. I, that's like a, just a very powerful story and there are so many messages and we could probably talk for three hours, but I think oh what gosh. I want to do now is for you to tell, before we do the speed round, for you to tell everyone, like, where can they find you? What is it that you, you know, now do you, you know, you're yoga teacher, Reiki, healing, all of these things. Tell us mm -hmm. if people are curious and want to know more, they want to know about what you do. Where can they find you? What do you do? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm trained in so many different things because I'm one of those minds that's like, I needed to know it all. I need to understand it. And then I need to figure it out and piece it all together. So my programs really kind of, I try to encompass them all into wow. the programs. So that way people can just get a new exposure to something. So, you know, as a yoga therapist, you get, you know, yoga therapy in there, you get this womb wisdom education as well. Some, some stuff to help you understand your hormones and your body and start to live in alignment. You get some energy healing in there. So I, I try to bring everything full circle for everybody so that it's not like a piece together mat. It's like, it's all in one. And so, um, when it comes to fertility, there's two ways. Well, first of all, my website is sherevival.com. And so she is not the gender it's she as an S H E E for sacred healing through empowerment and embodiment. Cause I believe at the end of the day, healing is always about empowerment and embodiment. If we have those two tools, we got it made. And so it's she revival with the two E's. Um, so fertility programs, I have two ways that I work with people. I work one-on-one, -on -one, which I can do online as well through zoom. I have an online studio and you get your own little private portal that no one else has access to. And we meet in there and we have chats in there. We have a chat box in there. 
Um, but when I work with women one-on-one, what we really do is we really dive deep into what is your womb talking to you? Like, what is it telling you? What is, what are we learning through the ovulation and through the menstruation? What are some key things that you're starting to notice when you are on either side of those, like very strong vortexes of ovulation and menstruation? What are you learning about in your follicular and what's your energy like in, in your luteal? And taking all that information, I, I use um, a lot of traditional Chinese medicine, the Chinese traditional medicine lens in there. So we'll take all that information and I'll look at it through that lens of like, is there excesses or deficiencies of chi of like what, what's happening here? And then we create a protocol for you through yoga practices with that lens in mind. Now, the beautiful thing is that if you're working with an acupuncturist and you ask them, so what, what are you seeing? Like, is it a spleen deficiency is a, whatever your case might be. I always use spleen deficiency because that's always mine, <laughs> um, but whatever yours is, if they'll just write on a piece of paper and you give that to me, I can make a yoga protocol around that to really support oh. that work that will change each phase of your cycle. So we will yeah. have four distinct practices. Cause I really want your body to feel those shifts. I want them to experience that we are not linear. We are meant to be, have four different energies. And so how can we really tap into that wisdom? And it looks very different for everybody. And so when we work one-on-one, that's what we really dive deep into is like, how can we get into understanding the womb, what's happening in the body, looking at it through traditional Chinese medicine, and then making a yoga protocol for you. Now, um, that can be too intense for some people. And some people really want community and people want information. Like if you're an information junkie like me, <laughs> you're not getting enough information sometimes in those. And so that's where I have my group coaching um, program as well called Fertile Restore and Awaken the Fertile Body. And so that program is uh, you can start in for three months or six months. And we have a community that's not on Facebook. It's on the online platform that I use. Um, and then there is um, yoga practices for each stage of your cycle. And then we have guest speakers that come on. We meet weekly through zoom as well. So we have awakening the womb where we learn a little bit about womb wisdom. We have mindset and yoga nidra. So learning about some mindset concepts, um, when it comes to fertility, and then we have a practitioner, um, call where a practitioner comes on and shares some wisdom around fertility. And then we have our support group the last week. And then we repeat those four, um, topics all over again with a different, different topic, I guess, or different theme. Um, so those are the two fertility programs. And then I also have a women's coaching or women's membership. It's not really coaching women's membership where we go into, it's just about lining to the wisdom of our womb. So we start to look at like, how can we think about our, our cycle and our hormones in the workplace? Like, how can we really create a work protocol that fits? How can we parent according to our hormones? How can we start to communicate about being cyclical in our marriages or our relationships? Like, how can we get them on board to understanding? And so we look at like, it's really about like, how can we draw this into everyday life so that we feel inspired? So we remove the taboo and we just really have fun with it. So those are the three main programs that of, of how to work with me, which they're all fantastic. I love them all. So love it. And are you on Instagram? I am. You mainly will find me on Instagram. I do have a Facebook page, but I really only take yeah. my Instagram. <laughs> on Facebook. Yes. Yeah, so, we all <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. inactive on Facebook, but Instagram I am. And so Instagram, you can find me at fertility coach, Kate, or you can find me at she revival as well. I have two pages. I try to keep one fertility focused and one just womb wisdom. So love that way, people who want more of that really like fertility focused, laser focused, they can go to the fertility coach, Kate one. 
Perfect. So are you ready for the speed round? I am, I think. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's very easy. You just have three questions. Do you have a favorite quote or affirmation? I do. My favorite quote is, it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. And that's by William Watkinson. So and I, I, think very, I think a few different people have used that quote, but that's the original person. So yeah. Do you have a book that you recommend everyone reads? This was a hard one for me because I have three. Okay, three is okay. <laughs> we can do three. I was going to lie and tell you I had two and then sneak the third one in there, but I'll be honest, I had three. So one, if you want inspiration, Inconceivable. That is an amazing inspirational story. I love that book. It's an easy read. You'll do it in like two days max. Like it's beautiful. Another one, if you really want to start to connect with this idea that we're cyclical beings would be Moon Time. Another really easy read. It's by... Um, Lucy Pierce, the name just raised out to my brain temporarily, but it's a really easy read and it really like gets the basics of understanding and gets you really kind of curious and really sparks that, that curiosity. And then another one that I just think is like the Bible for women, but it is a heavy read is women's bodies, women's wisdom by Dr. Christian Northrup. That's a beautiful book that gives you just this different lens to think about the female body hmm. that isn't so clinical. Oh, I love it. And very last question is if you had just one thing, if you were going to scream it from the rooftops, if you you know had a billboard, what would it say? No matter your age, no matter if you're married or not, this journey is not over until you say it's over. Love it. Kate, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing your story, showing, sharing, you know, all of those different parts and all of those different layers. As you say, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast and I can't wait till we chat again. Oh my God. Thank you everyone for listening. This was fantastic and so much fun. Yay. Everyone, thank you so much for listening and we look forward to catching you again next week. Bye for now. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the Fertility Warriors. And if you'd like to keep the conversation going, you can come and find me at Robin Birkin on Instagram. I share content almost every day. I answer lots of your questions and I love hearing from you at Robin Birkin on my Instagram channel. That's all for me today and I'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.